So last week we left Joshua and the Israelites camped on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Moses had died and Jacob was now the leader. A leader who needed God to assure him that he was with him. And God does that to, to, um, to um, Joshua. God promises his provision, land that they would take as they crossed the, the river. Victory over their, their enemies and a promise. This promise, I will be with you wherever you go. And then God exhorts Joshua to, um, as he takes on this new challenge, this in some ways enormous challenge um, to be strong and courageous. Three times Joshua says to Joshua, uh, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous in the opening parts of that book. Well, here in chapter 2, the people are still on the eastern side of the river. And Joshua decides, let's send a reconnaissance mission across the river into this land we're about to take. If it was today, we'd send a drone or um, click into one of the satellites that are going over Palestine at the moment or Israel at the moment and see what, what the lay of the land looked like. But Joshua did what Moses had done 40 years earlier. He sends spies, two spies, to check out the first city that they go to encounter. Now, the land across um, the Jordan, this land they're going to, is full of cities. Not cities that we would imagine, as we think about Australia or other countries around the world, cities that make up part of a, a kingdom or a, or a nation. These were individual city-states, each city controlled by a king. And the first of those cities, 10 kilometres on the other side of the river, was the city of Jericho. Anyone here enjoy watching QI? Okay, there's a few of us. If you don't know QI, it can get a bit of reverence sometimes. QI is quite interesting. It's a, it's a program, it's a quiz about trivia. Um, I enjoy it. I even watch their, listen to their podcast. It's done by the QI Elves, who are the people who come up with all these amazing facts. Well, I've got a QI fact, a quite interesting fact for you today. If we get this right. We are on. There we go. This is modern day Jericho. The QI fact, the quite interesting fact is Jericho is the lowest city in the world. It sits at 260 metres below the sea level. Now, it's not the lowest inhabited area or place. This is a kibbutz in Israel called Ien Gedi. That's the lowest human settlement at 280 metres below sea level. But this is the lowest city. So Joshua sends... Um, I'm not sure... Are we going here? Okay, thanks. Sorry. We're there. So Joshua sends two spies into Jericho and he does it secretly. Maybe without any, some new, a new device coming up here, so hopefully that's going to make the slides move when we want them to. Thanks, Sean. Joshua sends two um, spies into the city. He does it secretly. Maybe without anyone else in the camp knowing that he's sent these spies off. Maybe it was just the, the, um, the military leaders who knew the spy espionage trip was underway. But it was done, supposed to be done secretly. Now, when you think the word spies, I don't know about you, but I think 
secret, um, stealth, no one else knowing. These two guys are pretty bad spies because straight away people know who they are, what they're doing. They come into Jericho, they make their way to a brothel and I don't know why they would make that their first point of call. Maybe it was because they thought that would be a place we could sort of sneak into, a bit easier, a bit less conspicuous than checking in at um, the Jericho Travel Lodge or something like that. They go to this brothel, but their actions are anything but inconspicuous. They're spotted immediately. We see in verse 2 that, um, or in a moment we'll see in verse 2, that um, people have seen them. They've been noticed as they come in, not in just the city, but even making their way into the brothel. These spies are acting more like Austin Powers or for other generations that might be Maxwell Smart than Jason Bourne or some of these new, you know, real swift um, guys that sort of melt into the, into the, um, the culture and into the land. Because we see in verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, you know, behold, we've been to behold before, look at this. Some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, they'd left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she'd take them up onto the roof and hidden them there. So the men set out in pursuit for, um, for these people who'd gone out um, or chasing these spies. Now, we could ask why, or, or, or you know, Rahab lied. She, she basically lied very easily, just rolled off her tongue. Very convincing. So we could have this whole discussion today about whether it's right or wrong to lie. Is there a time when it's right to lie if we're saving a life, or is it always wrong? We're not going to go down that path today. What I want us to look at is a much more critical thing for us today to think about. And it's why she took this risk. Why did Rahab take this risk to lie, to do what she did? She deceived her king. Here's this nation across the river preparing to come in and invade their city. And two spies from this nation arrive at Rahab's door. They enter. And what does she do? She protects them. She saves them. She rescues them. She knows their armies are about to come in and destroy her city, destroy her livelihood, her life. And she protects them. That's incredible. And then the risk of her own life, the life of her family, she lies to the king. She deceives the king. Why would Rahab do that? Why did Rahab risk her life to deceive the king? She did it because of faith. Radical faith. A courageous faith. Right in the, in the middle of the city, actually very on the, on the walls of the city, but in this whole city, 
there's a, a plethora of, of gods worshipped by this, this place. And in the city, on the walls of the city, in a brothel, we find a woman of faith, Rahab. A woman of faith in the true God. Rahab's speech in these verses uh, from verse 8 um, reveals a, a situation that, that not even the most optimistic Israelite could have thought could happen and would have imagined as these spies were sent into the city. Jericho, that this, this impossible barrier that is before Israelites, one of many barriers to come. Jericho, the, um, you know, well-defended garrison city, fortified walls, a, a highly trained army. But in fact, this is already a defeated army. Before the Israelites had even crossed the Jordan, the hearts of the, of the, the people of Jericho were melting with fear. Look at what um, Rahab says in verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. How does she know this? How does she know what's going on? Because Rahab and her fellow Jerichoans, if that's what you call people from Jericho, have heard what God is doing. They've heard the stories across the river. They've heard the stories of this nation that's been travelling for 40 years in the desert. And so she says in verse 10, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did in Cylon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. They've heard what's been happening with the people of Israel. And as a result, their courage, this mighty, mighty army, fearful army, is melting, is failing badly, quickly. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rahab acknowledges that God is with his people. God is is doing something amazing across the Jordan. And for her, as she thinks about what's going on, what's happened in the last 40 years, She acknowledges that God is everywhere. There is no getting away from God. God is on his way to Jericho. And she can either submit to him, follow him, or she can take the other route, which is digging her heels in and fighting and resisting this God who is coming through his people. And what does she do? She casts herself completely at God's mercy. Rahab seems a most unlikely person to come to faith in the God of Israel. We assume she's the only person in this whole city who does this. We would have heard, I'm sure, that they would have recorded other people that she knew and got them into the house as well. She's the one, the only one, not even her family. She's the only one. And as she considers what God has done and what God is going to do, faith begins to rise within her. 
And she's prepared to risk her life in order to save it and the lives of her family. She's prepared to to cut herself off from her community, to risk being charged as a traitor and to do everything she can to help the spies because of this new faith that she has, this faith in the true and only God she acknowledges. All her future now depends on this God. There's no other future for her. And so she casts herself upon his mercy and on the, the trustworthiness of these spies that she is now rescuing. And so for, for um, protecting them from the king's search party, the spies come up with this plan to rescue Rahab and her family in this coming attack that's about to happen in Jericho. She's to tie this, this scarlet cord from the window. And when the Israelites come and see this red cord hanging on the side of the walls, Rahab and her family behind that window will be spared. Now, a spoiler alert if you don't know this story, um, Rahab survives. We'll come to that in a couple of weeks. Um, she's adopted into God's family and becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David, from whom Jesus' line would come. This prostitute woman, this pagan woman who inhabits a city of God's enemies, enemies of the Israelites, becomes an ancestor of God's son, Jesus Christ. Now that's a QI fact. That's a blow your mind thing when you really think about about that. We see in in Matthew uh, chapter 1, she's... uh, given an honoured place in the genealogy that Matthew records of Jesus' birth. Salmon, the, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was Boaz's mother. Boaz, the father of Obed, was the mother of Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Ruth's great-grandson. And Jesse, the father of King David. Her name's recorded as one of the heroes of faith in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews, uh, where she's commended for her faith. By faith, the, pro- the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And James records her, her good works. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off to a different direction. Rahab the prostitute was a provision from God, a provision for the people of Israel. This was, was the last thing the spies would have been expecting as they made their way into the city secretly, with no one seeing them, uh, into this brothel. In the most unlikely place, the most unlikely person, God had gone ahead and prepared the way. Now, a message about a prostitute is not really the sort of thing you'd normally speak about on Mother's Day. Um, I I could have spoken on a whole range of different passages that talk about the values and the the, um, attributes of of a woman of God. I didn't plan it this way. This happens to be the next book in the book of Joshua, and we started the book last week. Um, But I believe this is the message for all women, young, old, whether you're a mother or not, for all 
men, everyone here today or watching on our live stream. And the message is this. God can use the most unlikely person in the most unlikely place for his glory and for his purposes. God can use the most unlikely person for his purposes. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Now there are many, many characters in the Bible who are unlikely people that God chooses for his purposes, for his kingdom work. People who would seem the most, um, the, the last people that you would ever expect God to choose to do his work. And the prophet Samuel went out looking for a new king to replace King Saul. God leads him to the family of Jesse, Rahab's uh, great-grandson. And one by one, Jesse presents his seven sons to this prophet Samuel. Seven strong, healthy, great-looking guys who are perfect king material for Israel. And after every one, God says to Samuel, this is not the one. And finally, young David, just a boy, is called in, last son, comes in from looking after the sheep, been out there all day, he was smelly, probably looked pretty disheveled and a, a bit of a mess. And Samuel realises straight away, this is the one. This is the one God has chosen to be the next king. The most unlikely son of all Jesse's sons, but the one God chooses. Why? Because as God says to Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks right into the heart. What about Abraham? 75 years old and married to a barren woman when God comes to him and says, you are going to be the father of a nation. This very nation that is now about to come into Jericho. Moses himself was, was a murderer killed an Egyptian um, official when he was in Egypt. Someone who had a a speech impediment, didn't like speaking, wanted his brother Aaron to be his spokesman because he couldn't speak. Samson, a womanizer. King David, a murderer and an adulterer. In the New Testament, Peter, a hot-headed fisherman who was always putting his foot into his mouth. Matthew, a despised tax collector, the worst of the worst for a Jew to be, the worst occupation, a cheater, a pariah to his people. No one is beyond the reach of God, the reach of God's grace. Each one of these people in Scripture had their failings. Each one, and countless others, were used powerfully by God. Schindler's List is a, um, a movie, a book, a book first, written by an Australian, a movie based on the true story of a German businessman, Oskar Schindler, who decided to use his um, machinery factory in Germany uh, during the war um, to um, use Jews to, to man that factory during World War II. Actually, it's in Poland, not Germany. Um, Jews were cheap. Um, labour um, 
they didn't cost him anything to have. And so he was able to really increase his profits by using Jews at his factory. And these Jews could not be sent off to labour camps or concentration camps because they were needed to keep industry running. Schindler develops a relationship with these Jewish people and uses his wealth, his influence with the Germans, the Nazis, to save these Jewish people's lives. The shrewd, wealthy, powerful German businessman, also a member of the Nazi party, saved the lives of 1,200 Jews. Schindler died in 1974 and was buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Can you believe that? This is a Nazi businessman, an enemy of the Jews, buried, honoured by them, by, by burying him in Mount Zion, on Mount Zion, one of the, the holiest places in their um, culture. He was named a righteous man among the Gentiles by the Israeli government in 1993. If you've been to Europe and been around some of the Jewish cemeteries there in places like Czech Republic and, and Poland, you'll see uh, graves with little stones um, sitting on top of the, of the tombstones as people come to honour people who have died. Schindler's grave in Jerusalem is littered with stones. It's, it's covered with stones. I haven't seen it. I've seen pictures of it. As people have come to honour this man, this most unlikely person God used to save 1,200 Jews. God is looking for people of faith. Unlikely people who will step out into the unknown, into the darkness, into what might be scary, might be uncomfortable for them. People who are willing to take that step because they trust God. They trust God's goodness. They trust God's love, his character. Because they believe who God is. They've experienced him at work. They've seen what he does. They trust him. They trust his leading. They believe God when he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. They've committed themselves to go where he calls no matter what. God was looking for someone like that in Jericho. And he found a prostitute. He found Rahab, the most unlikely of people in the most unlikely of places. As we see in this story, as we see throughout Scripture, God specialises in using unlikely people. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. I like the way that the message um, paraphrase of this says it. Look, take a look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many 
from high society families, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretenses of the somebodies. Who does God use? God uses nobodies. The nobodies rather than the somebodies. Not the influential, not the powerful, not the great speakers, not the most gifted, or people who have all their lives together. He chooses those who have a heart for God, those who have faith, those who are willing to follow Jesus and obey him. Maybe you're thinking this morning, I'm a nobody. I've got nothing I can give to God. I'm an unlikely person. Why would God use me? Well, think again. You are exactly the person God will use, God wants to use. When Glenda and I went to Bible college many, many, many years ago, um, a family friend said that we were the most unlikely couple to ever do this. We heard this afterwards. We didn't hear it before we went. That would have been a great encouragement as we went off. Um, we were young. We'd been married for two years, just over. Um, came from a small town. We're pretty naive, um, even in New Zealand standards to the world. Um, both introverts, both shy. You're going to Bible college to look at mission work overseas? That was kind of what this guy was saying. He's still a well, He's passed on now. He was a friend until he died. Um, But we felt so certain of this call, this call of God in our lives, that we gave up our jobs, we packed up our little car, drove up the North Island, from across the the other island, up the North Island to this big city of Auckland for three years at Bible College with all the unknowns, all all the, the uncertainties. What have we done? The challenges. Holding on to Joshua 1 verse 9 as our verse. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three and a half years later, with an 18-month-old toddler, we got on a plane, flew over to Texas to learn Spanish. And then a year later, a year after that, now with a a two and a half-year-old and a six-month-old baby, we went down to Ecuador to begin our life and ministry there. Those same mixed feelings. What I talked about last week, the the excitement, the anticipation of something new, the adventure, but the apprehension, the uncertainty uh, of all of that. Still trusting God's promise. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That was the beginning of a 35 plus year ministry. Ecuador, New Zealand and now here in Melbourne today. So why do I share that with you? Because of that phrase, you are the most unlikely of people I would ever thought would do this. This was after the fact. We'd come back to New Zealand. and said, you were so young. You had no experience. You were just green. A couple gave up everything. The most, I wouldn't have expected you to do this. What might God be calling you to do? What might he be asking you to do for him? 
Here at RBC, there are many ways that you can serve. Some of those in the newsletter each week. In leadership, in serving in ministry groups, being on a roster. Is God calling you to fill one of those roles? Has someone tapped you on the shoulder and said, I think you'd be good at this, and you're still thinking, me? Why me? I don't have what it takes. I'm not equipped. There must be better people than me to do that task, to do that ministry. Maybe God wants you to introduce a friend, your neighbour, a schoolmate, a work colleague to him. Why would God choose me to do that? Well, look at Rahab. Look at Abraham. Look at Moses, David, Peter, Matthew, the most unlikely people. God used them. And God can use you. Trust him as Rahab did. Risk all for him. Step out in faith. Let God use your weaknesses to reveal his power. Two spies make their way back to the Israelite camp after invading this search party that goes off in a wild goose chase from Rahab's place and tell Joshua what had happened. They present their report. Forty years earlier, 12 other spies, including Joshua and Caleb, had returned from their espionage mission. But their report, at least the report of 10 of them, was, was so frightful, so so terrified the people that they became too afraid to step out into the unknown. And so they hunkered down. They were sent out of the wilderness, roamed around the wilderness until they'd all died off. They were so afraid that their fear stopped them entering the land that God had promised them, entering God's provision for them. Look how this next generation of spies report their Findings as they returned from Jericho. They said to Joshua, The Lord was surely, has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Heard that phrase before. All the people are melting in fear because of us. God was doing what he had promised Joshua. He'd gone ahead of them. He'd prepared the way. He'd found a woman of faith named Rahab, an unlikely person in an unlikely place and led the spies to her. He proved himself yet again to be faithful. This is the God who never turns his back on those who follow him in faith. The God who never leaves, who never forsakes those who follow him. This is the God who who keeps his promises. Who is a rewarder of those who seek him, of those who are obedient to him. This is the God today in whom we can put our total confidence, our complete trust, risk everything for, because we know he's God. There's no other way just as Rahab did. So where's God calling you to trust him 
Where is he sending you? Where is he calling you today? What's he calling you to do? What courageous thing does he want you to do for him? Don't, don't limit God's power in, your, in, in you based on your feelings of inadequacy or weakness in your own limitations. Step out in faith. Respond to God's call, his invitation to obey him and to trust him, to serve him. Let, as Paul, paraphrase a bit of a verse here that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, let his grace be sufficient for you, that his power may be made perfect in your weakness. In the city of Jericho around 1400 BC, God used the most unlikely person to do his work for his glory. He wants the same, do the same today for us here in, uh, in Roval. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for revealing yourself to us in, in the pages of this book. What it reveals to us of, of, of your character, your, your greatness, your mercy, your goodness, your love. Thank you for the stories we read, we read today of, uh, that, that, that shows us that, that we can trust you completely. We can trust your promises. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You go before us and you provide for us. You, you, just as you provided for Joshua in the most unlikely of people in the person of Rahab. Father, as you continue to look for people to do your work, to accomplish your purposes in this place and in this world, may you find hearts that are, that are trusting you, hearts that are on fire for you, hearts that are, that are obedient to your word, hearts that are, are wanting to serve you, even in weakness. Help us to be sensitive to the needs and opportunities around us. Give us ears to hear your voice, the, the prompting of your Holy Spirit, to go, to go where you call us, to do what you ask us to do. May you um, use us for, for your glory, to build your kingdom, to serve your church, to serve those around you, to share the good news with those who don't know you. May we be faithful. May we be fully devoted to you, risk takers for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.